In this week's episode, I'm joined by Jessica Bantam, DEIB practitioner, interior design consultant, and author of Design for Identity. This week, our conversation is about a trans model in the Starbucks India's new ad campaign, Apple's new voice feature for people with ALS, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Welcome to the show, Jessica. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. I would love for folks to get to know you a little bit. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. So, as you mentioned, I'm Jessica Bantam. Um, I am merging my backgrounds in DEIB and interior design to explore designing for identity, uh, which, as you mentioned, is the, the title of my book. Um, so my focus as a consultant, speaker, and author um, is really making space for a deliberate conversation about identity in the design process, both with customers and among design teams themselves. I am absolutely fascinated by your work. And I will say I've had a lot of different guests on the show. You're the first one I've had that's been an interior designer. And I would love to hear more about your thesis. Like, what's your perspective? How how do we need to be considering diversity and equity and inclusion in the design process? What are some of the factors we should be considering? Well, for one, we should just be talking about it. That's been a big gap, as I've seen it throughout my design education and throughout the practice of design, is that we don't acknowledge it. You know, we talk about so many things with our customers about what's important to them about the space, what uh, functions they'll perform there, what they want it to look like, but we don't talk about what will make it meaningful to them and what about their identities they would like to celebrate in the space. Uh, so that's just, you know, that's one of the conversations I feel like we just need to become more comfortable having um, and more deliberate about having because uh, designing without input from the customers uh, from a cultural standpoint is going to be performative. Um, and, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And you look at the design industry at large, I mean, it's it's predominantly, predominantly white and designers at the same time design for everybody. So when there's that that disconnect between the, the composition of the, the practice and the composition of the people that we serve, we have to be intentional about how we're going to address that. That makes sense. So how can you give examples of how we can be intentional? What does that actually look like for a designer who is white? Let's just say they're designing for uh, a black couple. So what are some of the things they should be thinking about when they're doing that, when they're working with that client? Or what are some of the prompts or conversations they should be having? What does that look like? Sure. So in conversations with the customers themselves, it does go back to that main question, which I 
I offer several questions in the design for identity blueprint in my book, but this is the one I hope people really you know resonate with and really sticks with them is what about your identity would you like to see celebrated in this space? Um, and then in leaving it open because you never know what people will share with you, um, what is really important to them. I think our minds automatically go to racial identity, uh, ethnicity, gender, but there's so much more about what makes us us. And we'll never find out what's important to people unless we ask them that question. And then I would also say that and that white designer in that moment also needs to be aware of their own identity. I mean, let's just acknowledge what's happening in the moment. And that could mean that, uh, that they tag it, you know, tag in with other designers of other backgrounds, maybe team up with them, even if they're just talking through what the conversation with the customer might be like, or making sure that they are really incorporating factors that are going to be things that honor identity and are not appropriation, just so there's that conversation happening on both sides of the table, not just with the customer directly, but also as a designer being proactive about seeking out knowledge and just being aware that identity is going to play a part in what the final product is. There are a couple of, there's a lot there that I really wanted to to follow up on. That's really great. Uh, One of the things that I that I heard you say was to ask the couple, what about your identity do you want to see brought into this design or something to that effect? Now, I mean, what a powerful question. I love that open-ended question. And it just gives folks the, the space to, you know, really express themselves. But I can imagine a lot of white folks being intimidated to even ask that question, right? So how do they push past the discomfort besides, you know, get over themselves and just you know, grow up? But... <laughs> Right. And I mean, I will say in that scenario, the black couple could also be caught off guard by that question. Sure. Um, so it's a matter of all of us just kind of leaning into it. And like is it, there, there is power in leaving it open ended because everybody can engage to the extent that they feel comfortable, quite honestly. But it does. It sends a signal. Asking the question sends the signal that, number one, I recognize I don't know all of them. I don't know everything. <laughs> and I can't answer this question for you. And it also makes space to say, you know, like, I really care about this. I want to know what's important to you. And I, and I will say, I have asked this question myself um, because I'd like to practice what I preach. And it did take my clients off guard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's just because it has not become a norm in our conversation. But once we got into it, it opened the doors for a conversation where we connected about things that I don't think we ever would have gotten to if, we, if that question wasn't deliberately put on the table. Yeah. I mean, inclusion requires intention, right? And we just have to start those conversations and not be afraid of them. Well, there's so much I want more I want to talk about. So my last question about your book or about this, this concept is about, you know, basically design is a team sport, right? I came from the wedding industry, also a team sport. And I would imagine that having a diverse set of suppliers has got to be really important to the success of a project and really sort of knowing who you call on, you know, there's not, you don't always have to use the same window treatment person or business, right? I mean, like diversifying your suppliers must be a part of this as well, right? Right. And it's interesting because you can't talk about identity without being made more aware of it in every space around you. Uh, So while the focus, a large focus of the Design for Identity Blueprint, uh, like I mentioned, is introducing these new questions with the customer, it is also having having conversations among the design team. 
and really looking at, you know, who comprises our team? What voices and perspectives do we have on our side of this interaction? And do we need to be more intentional about bringing in different voices? Um, and how can we do that in different ways? And that will show up at different points of you know, as you mentioned throughout the design process, it's, you know, at the beginning, you're probably engaging more with the clients directly. Then you get to talk to the customers. Then once you start really getting into concepts and turning those into reality, that's when you're looking at like, oh, who are we getting these materials from? Where can we source these things that maybe the client shared with us that we're not even familiar with? Right. Um, so, you know, in that process of exploring that and looking at uh, different things and elements to fold into the design, you're likely to tap into more diverse networks to make those things happen as well. That makes sense. Okay. Last question for you before we get into the good vibes. This is a question I ask everyone. So in your work, Jessica, what is giving you hope? You know, I will say what gives me hope um, are the little aha moments. I know we talk a lot about uh, measuring DEI success in numbers just as a whole. Um, you know, are we increasing diversity among our leadership team? Uh, what do our recruitment numbers look like, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a really critical component to me, which is observable behaviors. How does the conversation sound? How are people engaging? Um, are people being more bold and leaning into these conversations that we used to not have? And I see that happening. And I had the experience, fortunately, of, of seeing that as a DEI officer and watching it, an organization mature over time, over the course of two and a half years of really getting into their DEI journey. And the things that really kept me going were, you know, we have monthly DEI learning sessions. When the, the team asked to make them longer, wow. that to me was a win. You know, when they were saying things like, I'm having different conversations with my children now because of what we're sharing here, that is a win to me. And those things are happening despite the headlines, despite whatever we may be hearing, to see those things happening on an individual level. To me, I, you know, I'll take all of those wins. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I that that makes a lot of sense. I yeah, it's really powerful, you know, seeing the seeing the response, seeing the the I think it's kind of like contagious in a good way, right? right? But what it has to click, right? And so once it clicks, and then it starts to feel less intimidating and less overwhelming and we can all just be a little bit more, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal <laughs> with each other, <laughs> not overthink things as much. Right. Okay. So let's get into this week's five things. Um, by the way, the, the story that I shared at the beginning of five things. So before I get into the good vibes was about uh, how I was meeting with a potential client last week about a keynote. And they said in the keynote, don't congratulate us on what we're doing well. We don't want people to see that and get complacent. And I understand that um, because I don't want people to get complacent either. But I also think we have to celebrate the wins and we need to keep celebrating and rinse and repeat and do it over and over and over again so that there is momentum. So I'm wondering what your perspective is on uh, on whether we should congratulate folks on what they're doing well Um or risk not or not do that because we don't want them to get complacent. Any thoughts on that based on your experience? Well, I think it's important to acknowledge those, whatever those wins are, because people need to understand that progress is being made. And unless we articulate what progress looks like, then they'll just think, oh, we're still doing this DEI thing. I don't know where it's going. I don't know how we're, where we're trying to get to, et cetera. 
I think it's important to celebrate those wins in the context of your organization's overall story and journey. So, that, you know, even to highlight things like, just like I said, like, oh, you know, this is a win, you know, for people to, to say, I want to have these, like, we want to have longer conversations about this. A year ago, people were hesitant to even say a word. And now we're at a point where you all want more. You want, you know, you want to have more opportunity to interact. That is a win. And to me, the things like that are significant. It is, I know that sometimes people can perceive that as like giving people a cookie and you're just like, you realize this is just one tiny step, right? Like we have a whole lot more to go. But if we don't acknowledge that, then people don't really know what DEI, effective DEI looks like. So I think that that is, it's really powerful in creating that narrative and painting that picture. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and that's sort of the premise of five things is, hey, let's celebrate these wins. And yes, they're imperfect, but, you know, we'll keep doing more of them. That's the that's the premise. So you, you all know that I love celebrating wins. So let's get into this week's good vibes. The first story comes from Apple, which is introducing a new accessibility feature called personal voice that allows individuals with ALS to easily create and use a digitized version of their own voice because ALS often weakens the muscles used for speech, making communication increasingly difficult. So this technology really streamlines an existing process, makes it a lot more simple and, and certainly affordable because I think it's built into to new iPhones or the new iOS. So uh, I love this story. Yeah, this was, this was amazing. I, and it's, it's, to me, another sign that there is progress, you know, that, that things are happening. And one of the things I particularly liked about this story is they mentioned that they actually worked with people with that lived experience of having ALS, uh, because that's critical, you know, in making sure that you're not just designing for people, that you are bringing their experience into this. It's not just a product that's being created based on a perceived need. So yeah, that, that was just really exciting to see. Yeah, I think it's like what is it for us by us, right? We need to um, we need to bring those people into the conversation. Otherwise, it's going to be an inauthentic product or service. Absolutely. Okay, and the next story comes from the software company Autodesk, and they recently renamed their diversity and inclusion team Diversity and Belonging. But what they're really doing is some great strategies that are working. Um, they've seen increased belonging scores for women and employees of color. One of the things that I love that they're doing is they're giving out poker chips to managers to prevent dominance in discussions so that folks have to actually use a chip in order to contribute so they're not um, basically overspending and dominating the conversation. Um, they're providing bonuses to leaders of employee resource groups, which is not something we see a lot of. They relocated an office to Atlanta to attract more black engineers. So really, really good stuff. Yeah, definitely. It was interesting to me, though, to see that concept, the way that they led with moving from diversity and inclusion to diversity and belonging as an attempt to kind of rebrand <laughs> DEI. And I I take a lot, I, I have a lot of opinions about the use of terminology in this space overall, I will say. That idea of trying to rebrand it by changing one word to me, I, I don't see where that's necessarily going to be impactful. And this obsession with naming uh, kind of, to me, detracts from actually doing the work that we need to do. <laughs> but I Fair do, enough. as somebody who uses belonging in my title, I do see that that being, a, you know, a positive step in incorporating that into the discussion. Because to me, inclusion is about 
this is how I think you would like to be included. This is an, an effort from the stance of the leadership, the organization to include you. Belonging is the other side of that coin saying, okay, is this really resonating with you? Are we doing the right things? And that prioritizing of belonging, I think is critical because it's like getting, switching from the golden rule of, you know, I do for you as you, I would have you do for me, as opposed to the platinum rule, I will show up in a way that resonates with you. Um, I think that's a more, uh, that is a critical nuance. But like I said, I have a lot of thoughts about it. <laughs> you know what? I And I love your thoughts and I absolutely welcome it. I think that's great. And I, what, what, what I think sticks out to me here is the substantial policy changes and what they're actually doing to hopefully make it not just be, you know, walking the talk or talk. Did I get that right? (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully it's something that actually is authentic, but you know, those, that's the thing with some of these stories and some of these policies, you know, sometimes they change later on. I talked about Bud Light in a positive way. If you last month and you know, things went down the tube pretty quickly there. Anyway, next story comes from the New York City Council, which has passed a bill making it illegal to discriminate against height and weight in housing, employment, and public accommodations. So weight-based discrimination disproportionately affects women, particularly women of color, and can lead to lower wages and opportunities. And actually, data reveals that weight and disability bias are the only types of biases not decreasing over time. This is a this is a big one. I and it's interesting to see it tackled in this way. I, I think that that's that is definitely encouraging. I do see that, you know, as a win. And I think that that is going to be one of our biggest, you know, uh, issues to tackle. I it seems so ingrained in who we are and just and it's imprinted on us. I think from such an early age in so many different ways. But to see now that that there is a legal there's legal recourse. Um, in those instances is definitely encouraging. At least in New York City. So maybe it will catch on. Okay, next story comes from Starbucks India, which has a new ad campaign called Start With Your Name, which features a transgender woman named Arpita reconciling with her parents. So it shows her introducing herself by her chosen name, her parents gradually accepting her identity. And what I love about this is that this campaign is being released in a country that's currently debating civil rights for LGBTQ plus folks. I mean, I think this really takes a stand. Definitely. And I, I love the, uh, that the, the discussion and um, that media is addressing this in different cultural contexts as well, uh, because it does have different implications from one place to another, one group to another, one region to another. Uh, and to see seeing that, that commercial is really, it's like, oh, okay. Then I, I take it as a sign Absolutely. Especially when there are lots of other companies being uh, under attack right now by right wing folks who are calling them woke, Um, you know, and the woke will go broke kind of thing. And so I don't think that's going to happen with Starbucks, but we might see backlash. But I you know what? They're going for it anyway. Okay, the last story this week comes from the government of Canada, which has announced that starting from December 15th of this year, federally regulated workplaces will be required to provide menstrual products to workers at no cost. All workers who menstruate, including cisgender women, non-binary folks, trans men, intersex individuals, etc., can have access 
to menstrual products, which can be very expensive. And there are folks who have to decide whether to buy period products or whether to buy a gallon of milk, right? Right. And I'm, first of all, I'm just glad to see that periods and menopause and all of these natural elements of being in a female body are becoming more commonplace in terms of conversation. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me that it's taken this long and it's amazing to me. Even as I was reading that story, I was like, I hadn't thought about that. I, I hadn't thought about how basic of a need that is. And, you know, in the grand scheme of other basic needs that facilities fill in general, why would that not be one? Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Exactly. All right. Well, this week's call to action is a podcast interview with Target CEO Brian Cornell. And uh, he's a true believer in DEI and Target. And he gives a lot of credit to Target's recent success due to their DEI initiatives. And I am a super fan of Target. Really love what they're doing, and especially for supplier diversity and, and amplifying Black-owned businesses. Would love for you to check out that podcast. We'll make sure that it gets in the comments and in the show notes. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. How can folks contact you? Sure. You just check out jessicabantam.com. Probably the easiest way to get to me and find out about my speaking, um, ordering Design for Identity. But I'm also very active on LinkedIn and Instagram, where you can just search Jessica Bantam. Fortunately, pretty uncommon name, so <laughs> easy to find. <laughs> and you can see all of your beautiful interior design work. Yes, yes. Got a few uh, sample projects up there to check out as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And folks, if you don't already get the Five Things newsletter, you can subscribe at fivethingsdei.com. Thank you so much and have a great week. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.